When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark Shea. This week, we feature Leah Shapiro and Peter Hayes from Black Rubber Motorcycle Club. We talk about how Leah met up with the band. Uh, we talk about what she and Peter did before BRMC, including maybe a little marching band info. We talk about Leah's brain surgery for Chiari malformations and her subsequent recovery. And we're reassured by Peter that they have nothing against Christmas. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. It's Black Rubber Motorcycle Club on Performance Anxiety. Hi, I'm Leah Shapiro from BRMC, and you should come hang out and listen to me talk on performance anxiety. Does that work? And I'm Peter Hayes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on tonight and agreeing to, to all this. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club is, I've, it's one of the bands I've been listening to since their very first album. And they're, they're so influential to just, just to my life in general. It's They're just amazing. And it's, uh, I, I kind of threw out the, a feeler to you, not really even expecting you to, to to reply to it at all. So this is a huge thrill for me. So thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, my, believe me, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. You were actually born in Denmark, is that right? Uh-huh, yes. All right, so how long were you there? I mean, did you did you just grow up there and spend your whole life there? Did, when did you come over to America, and how did... Well, so my family is... Uh, my dad is from the States originally. Okay. And so he came over to Europe, I think, after he had finished college. Okay. Uh, he just wanted to get the hell out of the States. He was tired of it. Ran off to Europe um, and sort of bummed around a, different, a couple of different places. But he ended up, there was this sort of artist uh, hippie camp up in the northern part of Denmark where... Like, a lot of artists hung out there. I think Allen Ginsberg was oh, up wow. there. And John Lennon. Like, all kinds of different people and just random hippies and stuff. And my wow. dad ended up there somehow. <laughs> John um, Lennon and your dad. <laughs> I don't crazy. know if they were there at the exact same time. but <laughs> It doesn't matter. It's still a great story. Yeah, there was, there was a bunch of interesting people. Uh, coming and going and so he spent some time there and then he met my mom I think I think it was like on a plane going to Paris um, 
wow. and yeah, then they got together and they lived for a short amount of time. They lived in Boston, uh, which is where he grew up kind of outside of Boston. Um, oh, wow. But was born in the Bronx, I believe, and he was like nine, I think, roughly when he left there to go up to New England. Um, and then they moved back to Europe, and they were still they were pretty young um, when they got married and had my brother, who's uh, like nine and a half years older than me. Oh, okay. But yeah, so um, my grandparents on his side, they, of course, were still in the U.S., and my brother actually lives in New York, um, and I used to live in New York. So the family was always kind of spread out all over the place. Um, so we'd go to the States a lot and they'd come here or we'd like go travel to some, I don't know, some nice sunny place. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, that's your parents met and they went to Paris. That's so romantic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they lived for, uh, for quite a while them and, and their other artist friends and, uh, some of them are still in Paris and, um, you know, they're still very close with them. And yeah, there was just sort of an, an artist community at the time that, and it was people from all over the place. Was, and then eventually they moved back to Denmark. Was there, being a, a hippie commune type of place, was there a lot of music going on there? Um, well, so, so I wasn't born yet. Uh, when they lived in Paris, they, they had my brother, I think he maybe like his first year, he was born in Denmark, but I think they may have gone back to Paris. I can't totally remember the timeline, but they, they were back in Denmark pretty like quickly anyway, after okay. he was born. Did you, um, did you grow up with a lot of music in the house? Yeah, definitely. My dad has like the most, like a pretty big vinyl collection with all nice. kinds of stuff like old blue stuff a lot of rolling stones and a lot of frank zappa and just a bunch of different stuff um and he uh he's like a photographer and in denmark he ran this like non-profit uh gallery so there'd always be a lot of people at our house because they bring like they have exhibitions and bring in people from all over the world. And, you know, there wasn't like a big budget or anything. So people would often stay at our house. Oh, wow. There's always a lot of people around. Um, that's kind of what I remember from growing up. Just a lot of people and parties. At, <laughs> at <our laughs> um, I'd hide out downstairs in my in my room. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want anything to do with it. They were, I thought they were all crazy. Oh um, my gosh! But yeah, so that was sort of the environment. Like it was pretty, pretty loose and like mellow and easygoing. So to say the least. So, at what point did you start picking up music and and, and playing instruments? And what what, um, what instrument did you start with? Drums was okay. the first thing that I started with but I started fairly late like um I started in my last year of like uh gymnasium it's called in, in De uh, Denmark but it's sort of the equivalent ish of high school okay um so I started my last year there and I've been doing uh 
I've been, uh, I grew up kind of riding horses and doing competitions like oh. show jumping. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, so that was like a whole other life. And then I had to kind of <laughs> figure out what I was going to do after, um, high school. And I had always kind of had a bit of a, like a panic of, of God, like I, I can't really picture myself having to grow up and like be responsible and go to the same office every day. And like the whole thing just seemed like something I'd just never be able to do. Yeah. Mature enough to do. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, somehow I, I ended up starting drums, got very obsessed with it very quickly. And the, after I graduated high school, I went to Nottingham in England for a year uh, with a couple of friends of mine. And we all did this like one year music program at a school there. Okay. But you just picked up the drums at that point. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been playing for like six months or something. Oh, jeez. The summer before I went to New York for I think like one and a half, two months. Okay. Um, I found this amazing teacher in New York who I'm still every once in a while, I'll reach out to him. Um, and he, he really like, he gave me a very good foundation and starting point, um, mm -hmm. to, to learn. Um, so, so that was, you know, it was lucky that my brother lived there and he let me stay there the whole summer. Oh, wow. You know, that's good. That, that is, that's good. That's a nice brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then I went there and then from there I ended up in Boston and then in New York and then here. That's okay. sort of the fast forward version. Of <laughs> so, and at what point you, st I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you're a difficult drummer to research. There is not a ton of stuff out there on you. So, <laughs> so, and most of it is just repeating the same things over and over again. Um, and I found that you played in a couple of bands. Uh, one was the Dead Combo. Now, yes. in looking that up, I actually found when I when I heard that, I was like, "Holy crap! I love the Dead Combo." And then I found out that there are two Dead Combos. Yes, there's that, a Portuguese uh, Dead Combo, and I think it's sort of more jazzy. Yes. I know and those guys. <laughs> yeah. Then there's the dead combo that I was in, which is sort of like a mixture of suicide and Iggy and the Stooges. Oh, yeah. That's definitely not the, uh, the dead combo no. that I, that I have. In no, my collection. very, very different. Dead combo. How long were you in that? That was when I met the RMC. Okay. Okay. And then yeah. you're also in the Ravenettes. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did a couple of tours with them um, when they had their record uh, "Lust, Lust, Lust" out. Yes. Um, I think I did. I don't know, probably three tours or something with them. Okay. Um, some, most of it in the states, some of it in Europe. Um, and that was sort of around the same same time when I actually that was yeah it was. At the same time as I was in Dead Combo, um, I think the first show I played with Dead Combo was opening up for the Ravenettes. Oh, wow. That's a busy night. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, we were 
with Dead Combo, I met BRMC because we were opening up for them on when they were on their Baby 81 tour. So that's kind of oh. how we all met, was really through that band. Okay, so I saw a clip on YouTube of the Ravenettes playing on David Letterman. Yes. And oh, I, I saw <laughs> a... a very young-looking Leah Shapiro standing up in a black dress, just smacking, look like a snare and a cymbal on one other drum. Snare and a floor tom. There that you. was it. It was very easy. And then I was running like the the backing tracks. Oh, okay, okay. That I'll tell you what. That was a that was a really wild performance, though. Yeah, really cool. performance. Um, it was a very easy gig, you know, having just two drums and, and it's like <laughs> these old school uh, like backing track things. Uh, yeah, it was lots of fun and and not super difficult. Uh, yeah, well, with the limited kit, it makes. But I guess it might make it a little more difficult to be more creative. But I'm not well, a drummer, so I don't know. With backing tracks, I think the focus needs to be that you're very much locked in with that because otherwise it can sound, you know, it starts sounding like clammy and like you're dropping a bag of potatoes down a flight of stairs. <laughs> like, it's not for everyone. Like you, you have to be really disciplined and precise, especially the way that they've, they've changed their setup since then. Okay. But the way that that was set up, that's definitely not for everyone. I guess there's some element of, you know, I wouldn't say that it's difficult, but you know, it's not, it's not for everyone. So. Yeah. No, I didn't do any recording with them or anything. Okay. Um, I, yeah, it was strictly just tour of, yeah. Hired gun for a couple uh, of tours. Okay. So and then after that, uh, BRMC let their, uh, the original drummer go. Yes. Now, how did the process of you hooking up with them happen? Uh, very quickly. Um, good. Yeah. I I got a call and then I had all of a sudden a whole lot of music to, to learn. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure there wasn't much of a backup plan on their end because they, they were out on the road when I got a phone call to please start learning stuff. So they didn't even really audition you. They just said, Hey, come learn this and, and, I mean, I, I guess it was an audition, but it was an audition where there weren't really other people. <laughs> so I think really crossing their fingers that I'd done my homework and was ready to go out on the road, which I I put in the work. So luckily, it, it all worked out. <laughs> I need, man, I need to get those kind of auditions. Hey, just send us your podcast. We'll send you money. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you got it, man. No problem. <laughs> Black Rebel Motorcycle Club has this appearance of an incredibly intense, incredibly serious band. And, and I'm sure that's a very, that, that's cultured and, and, and very much a purposeful image that, that they put out there. Are you guys like that outside of the band? I mean, how, how loose do you guys get when you're, when you're touring and, and when you're recording? We're, I mean, we're, when we work, we're definitely super serious, too, like, and, uh, 
we all have like a, a tendency to go a bit OCD and we're all very critical of, of ev like everything that we do. So that's that part of it is very much true that okay. I guess that we're serious. But aside from that, we're not particularly serious or we don't take ourselves particularly seriously <laughs> or anything like that. It's I don't know. I mean, it's a. Uh, I guess that's kind of been an image that was labeled onto you guys. Pete, you would know more about that. I'm well, turning I, you over. I didn't sign up for this. No, no, no. I'm sorry to, I, um, uh, what am I doing? I'm crashing the party. I, I just happen to be around. That's no problem at all, man. Uh, are you serious? I, serious. I don't know. That was, I always feel like that was a mistake. That's kind of a mistake we made, you know. We we we, yeah, we uh, I guess we we came at it where we we didn't want to be uh, useless, you know. We wanted to have a purpose. Okay. And and we and we saw music should have a have a purpose in life in society, and and so we got known for kind of walking off. Uh, interviews every once in a while and somebody, <laughs> somebody either didn't even know the name of the band or you know or just made silly comments or just kind of walk away uh, and that that word goes real quickly in this uh in this industry so well, that's how it happened you know all right i try yeah, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's it's uh you guys, I've seen you guys a few times live, and and I always have a, a fantastic time. There's, I don't, it just, it doesn't seem there's like a, not a whole. I haven't noticed a whole lot of humor in the music up until possibly this album, Wrong Creatures. And since Peter, you're there, and I've got both of you there. You maybe you can answer a couple of questions for me before huh? before you walk off of my interview. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, first of all. What the what the hell is with is, is Circus Bazooko? Mm. That is a crazy song, and it, when I heard it, it's like this this isn't like anything else I've really heard. There's like Calliope, and I don't even know what a bazooko is. about that song uh, fear and loathing well uh, yeah it's a reference it? to fear and loathing las vegas the okay. movie um yeah well so it's a reference to that that book and the and the movie um and is it the bar is the yeah, bar it's the they, bar that yeah. when they waltz in all fucked up on Ooh. ether or whatever and they stumble Ooh. into circus oh, okay okay but, um, but the the music itself, like it started out with just Rob was messing about with some loops, and then with with weird sounds that we wouldn't normally use, and then it kind of just developed from there. Um, and we just kind of like the pretty much the way we approach anything that we write, like the just let the music guide the way that's usually the the better thing to do for us rather than to 
sit down and like have a, like a, I don't know, try to force some sort of idea to happen. And so we just went for it and, uh, and, and it was very much open to doing whatever weird stuff that we could think of. And we did. (laughs) Well, it's, it's my wife and my daughter's favorite song on the album. They absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, They, they love that song. It's their favorite. So, um, and my, mine's, mine's either echo or ninth configuration. Just to throw that out there. I love both of those. But, uh, what does DFF stand for? Oh, that's um, the, uh, the, the full title is Drink, Fight, Fuck for Those Who Can't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's DFF, drink, fight, fuck, and then in parentheses for those who can't. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's good. See, I've, I've always seen artists get Black Sabbath, Ozzy, particularly with, with SATO and NIB, which I eventually figured out with Nativity in Black, but I still don't know what the hell SATO stands for. So uh, I figure oh, since, yeah. since I got you guys on, I better ask that while I had the chance because yeah. that'll – That'll just haunt me for the rest of my life if I don't ask. We couldn't. Yeah, I, I, it was kind of the decision. We if we would get some sort of parental guidance thing if we wrote it out fully, you know. So we trying to dodge that. So you, you did like a Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge kind of thing. Oh, is that what they did? I don't. Yeah, for unlawful carnal knowledge, the F U C K. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> my show's educational. <laughs> and I'm going to throw this out there right now since I got it on my brain and, and I, I still have Peter here for a little while. I saw and I pulled it off of YouTube, so don't get mad at me. But uh, you guys early on did a, a cover of uh, Ring of Fire in El Paso. And oh, yeah. I absolutely love that. I had to rip that off of YouTube and, and put that so I can listen to it whenever I want. doing something like that actually recording recording those officially um well you did a recording of of uh cool water oh, yeah i've got that of. too yeah that was just the girl uh, courtney J. uh yeah we did it we did that song together uh that's a good that's a good thought maybe um it'd be fun to do i would love yeah. to hear you guys do more old country stuff in in the black over motorcycle club style i guess like you did ring of fire and, and el paso that was just that was just really cool i always thought i always i always wanted to be in the mind of marty robbins and the discussion of that song and just to be on the fly on the wall because that that song to me it never it, it seemed 
it 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 so it just doesn't lend itself to the horns and the um and the speed of it you know yeah uh, it the, the the actual recording just doesn't make sense to me and I, and I and I never heard the recording I I only heard my uncle play it for me oh wow um, he was a family friend that we called my uncle he 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 play uh, cool water in El Paso and he he'd act it out and you know, as I was a little kid. Oh my god! And so I, I had never heard the original recording, and so I grew up with this version of it that was just kind of sad, sad, you know, gunfighter story. Oh yeah. And, and then hear, hearing it, you know, um, I, I wonder what the conversation was, you know, because I think it was a single. At the time, right? Yeah, they but did a. Sure. The original version is like eight minutes long, and then and you know back in the mid the late fifties, I mean that's unheard of. So they yeah they yeah. trimmed it down. That whole the the whole speed of it. I'm wondering if that that added if they had discussions like, well, we got to get this faster. That way, we get that way we can move it along quicker. To, you know, more radio friendly. Yeah. yeah, you know. But I don't know, or else it just came out that way, but. That that song's part of a trilogy that Marty Robbins wrote, and I, I would love yeah, to yeah. hear you guys do that trilogy. Oh God, yeah, I I met the yeah I didn't know that for the longest time. I met I met Jim Marshall. Oh, um, when we were uh, we were doing um uh, the spread your love video, mm-hmm. uh, we we wanted to use it was there was a scene of me on a. Uh, on a uh, getting out of bed, and there's this big poster of of Johnny Cash giving the finger, right? Like right. that's what you wake wake up to every day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it it was. I think it's still in the video. Maybe they. I don't think they had to cut that out. But anyways, we we tried to do the right thing and ask and find them and ask them if we could use that image. Okay. And uh, so we went up just me and uh, Charles Mailing, the guy who did the video. Went up to his apartment, knocked on the door, and that was, it was an amazing experience. You know, he's like, "Yeah, come on in." You know, it's like no one ever asked. I'm in so many lawsuits. Oh, Everybody's wow. using this image. Yeah, and then he, you know, and then he just had all these stories of meeting all the, and pictures everywhere of all you know all his famous pictures. You know, that's and crazy. He showed, the, he showed me the slides. Uh, there was, I think, there's six or eight. Of of that image, you know, of him in the process of giving the finger, right? And uh, there's a smile on his face, you know, as <laughs> as he's giving it, you know, he's just messing with him. Yeah. And then that there's that one iconic one that's just, you know, he looks like an angry, you know, yeah, going to beat the that, shit out of you. Yeah, he's got that scowl on his face. Yeah, you know, but but that it was cool seeing the whole build up to that one picture, and then you know, and then wow. a couple after. That's amazing. Oh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I had a similar experience um, with a different photographer. I, I was a photographer for for several years. I went to college for it and all. And, um, in that fact, guy Jim Marshall, the, the guy Jim Marshall made me aware of the trilogy. That's why I oh, say that. Right? Okay, yeah. That's, ties in, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I kind of cut you off on that, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. But um, I was – I. I'd, been out of photography for a number of years, and a friend of mine from high school was talking to me about it. She'd seen some of the images I'd put on some social media, I don't know, either Facebook or Twitter or something. She's like, you know, my father-in-law shoot, used to shoot a lot of bands back in the 60s and the 70s. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, no, he, you know, he, he's actually really good. He, he did it professionally awesome. Oh, who is he? He's like, oh, thanks, Jim Cummings. He shot Hendrix, uh, Blue Magic, uh, a bunch of Motown stuff. Like, are you serious? She's like, yeah, if you know anything about Photoshop, they're trying to restore some of his photos. I'll send you a couple files. So I got a couple files of some original Hendrix pictures that I hadn't seen before ever. So that's wild. But, wow. Yeah, and I had no idea. I knew this girl throughout school, and I had I never had. Well, I guess she wasn't married at the time, so I guess that makes sense. So that that blew that whole story up. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> anyway, so wow. that was kind of cool. I and. and Here's one of the cool things about a podcast. I can edit whatever the hell I want because I kind of totally lost track of where we were going here with some of this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, serious image. But we're, we're yeah, if we're going to do making, uh, doing cover songs. Yeah, because you, you guys don't do a whole uh, lot of them, but the ones you do are yeah. really good. They're really unique sounding. Yeah, that, it could be fun to do that. Yeah. I've always wanted to... To cover uh, some of Lee Hazelwood songs. Oh wow! I always thought that would be really fun. But there's the Rambler. Been thinking about that one. I'm the kind of guy who likes to roam around, never in one place. Oh, <laughs> do a version of that. Oh, well, yeah. Dion, uh, the Wanderer, did. right? Yeah, yeah the yeah. Wanderer. It, we did. Uh, there's we did one. I I I like. Uh, what was it? Uh, oh shoot! What was that song? It was a B side. Um, Off a of how? Uh, Angel Bay. Angel Bay. Oh, yes. Yeah. That okay? Yeah. That's a question I have for you guys. Angel. Okay, so, and it's not necessarily about Angel Baby, but that was that was an intense interpretation of that song. You guys, I tried to play it live and destroyed it so badly I never <laughs> did it again. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think if I remember correctly, was that one of the holiday downloads or was that one of the, the songs you got if you pre-ordered? Uh, I, yeah, I think it was a B-side to Spectre at the Feast or something like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. you guys used to do a holiday downloads every Christmas. And yeah. you haven't done that in a couple of years. Is there a reason why? Because... <laughs> I, every every like Christmas morning, I wake up, I look for it. I'm like, no, not this year, not this year. Yeah. I think we did. I can't remember. We try to do it, but it just it kind of depends on if we have something that's ready to like go, that's mixed and mastered. And um, I forget what the last one that we did was. Um, I think we did scare the square at one point, which is. Uh, another instrument, it's an instrumental song, oh. sort of in the vein of DFF. Really? Um, I, have, I don't know about that one. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, that, that was like, uh, that, that one was kind of made in a similar way. Like we have a habit of doing like little, uh, drum circle things. Um, and just messing around with, with drums and rhythms and like playing at the same time. Okay. 
usually when we get to the point in the re- uh, recording uh, where like I'm more or less done with all the, the songs that I have to record and other people are eating dinner or whatever, <laughs> mess around and some of them we record and save them and maybe later on they turn into something like uh, another one that was done. I think the first one was, um, uh, what's it called? The one that ended up um, being on that Batman uh, uh, game soundtrack. Shadow on the Run? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah. That's a great that track. Was, uh, as an instrumental. That was like, that That one was recorded, um, <clears throat> or at least the, the drums and the bass and the like the basics of it. That was recorded um, in the house where we were writing uh, while we were writing for Beat the Devil's Tattoo. And we were just messing around, and then we had this, like, instrumental version sitting around for ages. And so, like, those kind of things are, like, I've, for me, it's fun to play around with drums like that. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of good, like, you, they come in handy because you can do all kinds of weird stuff with it. And I like instrumental music. I think it's really fun to to mess around with. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of like a... I guess a side hobby that <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, guys, know, you guys should compile these things and put them out. Maybe like, uh, like you did with, uh, the effects of three thirty three or for murder, just put it on the website so people can just yeah. purchase yeah. A, a compilation of your weird stuff. Of weirdness. Yeah. yeah that, Cause <laughs> we, have nothing, we, have, we have nothing against Christmas, right? But uh, it <laughs> just hasn't, <laughs> just hasn't happened for a little bit. Well, yeah. I'm glad we cleared that up. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, with you, I'm a completist. When I find a, a, an album or uh, not an album, a band that I that I like, I get everything. I'm hunting yeah. everything down. And oh. you guys are definitely on the top of my list. So I'm always looking for, you know, the uh, the CSI Los Angeles uh, soundtrack, the uh, the uh, studio yeah. was it the studios um, Sound City, Sound City. That's what it was. Yeah. So that yeah, was. We- yeah, we did. Yeah, first album in that place. That's a lot um, of history. Do, yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't do much recording there. It was mostly mixing. How did you guys get involved with uh, the soundtrack for Studio that reached out um and asked um obviously that was like before me he asked if he could interview the guys or one of the guys and rob ended up going out to do that interview and he was a little nervous so i I went with him that night uh (laughs) just for moral support okay um and then i was too scared to go at all so i stayed (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I went with Rob and he did the interview and then we hung out at the studio uh, at 606 afterwards a little bit, which was really fun to, you know, sit and talk to Dave Grohl, who's an incredible musician and a super lovely person, you know, uh, yeah, just talk to him a little bit about music and how he got started and all that stuff. And, and then afterwards they 
uh, he put together um, the, the, you know, the, all the recording sessions with everybody that done the interviews. And then the guys did the, the one song um, yeah. with Dave for that. And then he got, I can't even imagine how he managed putting all this stuff together with so many different people. It must have been a logistical nightmare. Yeah. But he on the show in L.A., which was just so well done. Like, I remember he didn't even seem really stressed or anything. Like, I would be so stressed if I <laughs> had to put up a, sh a show like that with so many different artists. And, oh, you know, not everybody is super easygoing. And, yeah. you know, people aren't as, like, laid back about stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it turned out great. It was a, it was an awesome evening. And I just remember trying to stay out of the way. And I was like, yeah. whatever you want to do, like, you know, it's bad. Had it started out with just a, just a jam, and then I was like, "Well, let me put on another five or six guitar parts," and then I just, <laughs> and then I just kind of left the bill and said, "Do what you do, what you feel like with it, you know, putting it together." And Rob, you know, Rob came up with you know singing and stuff, and yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just, I, yeah, to make life easy, easier for everybody, I, I can't just. Step step back and let them do their thing, you know. Yeah, well, it it came out fantastic. It's a it's one of my favorite songs on that soundtrack. Not just because I love BRMC, but just because it's a great song. But fun, it's fun to do. So, so Lee, you've been in the band now for ten years. The band's been around for yeah. twenty. Mm -hmm. You've been around for ten. Do you still feel like the newbie sometimes? Um, or that all passed now? <laughs> Not so much. I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy that it's been 10 years because it doesn't feel like it's been that amount of time. It's, it's pretty trippy. Uh, you know, touring, uh, we've been, we tour a lot. So that kind of turns into Groundhog Day. You lose track of time and like the outside world is is moving and you know yeah. you come home and all of a sudden people are married and have kids and, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like in this weird uh bubble um so it, it yeah that's the only thing it's kind of wild that it's already been 10 years like that that trips me out when i think about that <laughs> but um but no i don't particularly feel like the newbie anymore um I guess it's different from, I guess, the outside world. Like, some people will still in interviews or whatever, like, be surprised that, oh, really? It's been 10 years? Like, I still thought you were the new person. Yeah. Like, nah, I don't think you can really call me <laughs> anymore. No way. Time has passed at this, at this stage. When I compare the the first few albums with Nick and the, and the albums with, with uh, you on it, there's... I can definitely feel the band progressing in in a way that I've I've loved for the past ten years. It's just oh, well, thank know, there is a fantastic <laughs> feeling to the band and to the music you guys make. But a few years ago, you actually had a, a pretty rough, uh, a little rough time of things, and um, you got a bit it. Of a <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Let's see. I mean, you know, un unfortunately, you know, Robert's father passed. Uh, <clears throat> you were involved in a motorcycle accident, and then you had mm -hmm. to have brain surgery. Yeah. Now, how yeah. long? How long of a time period was were all those happening? Yeah, Robert's dad passed away in 2010. Um, the motorcycle ha accident was 
like towards the end of 2011. And then the brain surgery was uh, November 2014. Okay. So it was like, it was a little bit scattered, but it was still close enough together, um, you know, because they were pretty major things. Some of yeah. them, like, it takes a little bit to get over that. It, it was still close enough to where it felt like, oh my God, this is. One thing after another. Yeah, it still felt a little bit like that. But yeah, the I, I pulled the trigger on getting the surgery done like pretty quickly after I found out what had actually been going on because I'd had so many issues. Um, what kind of during, issues were you having? Um, just like uh, being behind the kit didn't feel during the whole Spectre at the Feast tour, which was like a year and a half on the road, like nothing felt fluid or natural anymore. It was like I was fighting um, my body the entire time whenever we were playing, especially on stage with all the lights and stuff. Like, um, like I could definitely feel the, like my, uh, what's it called? My uh, fine motor skills and all that stuff was something just wasn't right. Um, and my balance and everything just felt odd. And there, like, I knew that I was making like mistakes that maybe weren't super noticeable to the out, like to someone watching, mm-hmm. but it was very obvious to me that because it wasn't normal, just like weird little mistakes or just feel things where it just, it just didn't feel right for a long time, for a year and a half. Like that's a long time to, to not have a, a good show where you feel comfortable on stage. Was it something um, that, that, that Rob and Pete could rec- could notice? Were they saying anything to you? Like, hey, is something wrong? Or was it just no, something that you just noticed? I think it was more it was more internal that I could notice it because it just didn't feel right. Okay. Um, but you guys could probably tell afterward, like after the fact, because I was so OCD in the in sound checks and setup. Like I was moving my kit up and down and side <laughs> to side and driving everybody crazy with that because it, it, like I was just trying to figure out if there was a way I could get things to feel normal again. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that wasn't happening. So. Yeah, I was driving people nuts uh, during sound check with, and, <laughs> with that. And and you were diagnosed with uh, is it Chiari? Yeah, Chiari uh, malformations. Malformations. That's, okay. So what what exactly is that? I mean, the easiest way to explain it is that like if you imagine that your brain doesn't quite fit in your skull, and then the cerebellar tonsils starts they start herniating out the base of your skull, oh which then blocks the, the spinal uh, fluid flow. And it was completely blocked in the back end. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so when they so, told you that, that's, you, that's why you're saying you pulled the trigger pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I spent time searching, making sure I had the right surgical team and everything in place. Um, but I didn't want to sit around and wait for the neurological symptoms to get worse Yeah. just because, you know, there's only so far you can push that kind of stuff before it becomes irreversible damage. And as it turned out, like it was a little bit worse than what we initially 
thought based on all the various MRIs I had done, which was a lot. Like there was like weird, I think there was some scar tissue and stuff that was starting to build up back there. So, um, so yeah, it, it turned out to be, it was a good choice. And I had like, if I hadn't had any symptoms, it would have been a different story. Um, you know, if there's some people have PRA, but they don't, ever really get any symptoms oh, and then of course, there's no need to there's no need to have surgery for something if you aren't having any symptoms that right. are messing right. with your day-to-day life um but uh but yeah it, i definitely had quite a lot of symptoms well, and, um, and you guys decided to to let your fans know make make a, a, an announcement that you needed brain surgery was that a tough decision or was that hey you know we're going to be down for a while we should let people know or um... yeah well it was something we talked about because like normally i'm pretty private and you know i I, i'm not uh you know i'm not out on social media sharing every minute of my day-to-day life uh you know like some people do that uh yeah (laughs) I, i like to have my private life but we made the choice to do that because we we were having to cancel a show because of it. And, and yeah, we knew we were going to be, you know, not working for you know at least six months probably, or at least I wasn't going to be able to. So we figured probably best to just uh, be open and honest about it and let people know instead of like rumors starting to, show up and you know that can turn into a whole other kind of messy so oh yeah so yeah it was actually rob rob was really helpful in that and kind of encouraging me to be to to yeah let people know what was going on and feel comfortable with doing that and i'm glad that i did that looking back at it just because there were so many people that had gone through it that all of a sudden like our Facebook for a while came, became this sort of like uh Chiari malformations forum where people (laughs) like talk, sharing their stories or like whether they'd gone through it themselves or knew someone that had gone through the same thing or, you know, all, all different kinds of uh, stuff. So it, yeah, it kind of became as, support <laughs> well, yeah, you got, from what i understand you had a really good um uh, outpouring from the fans uh, there's a gofundme i believe and and um in fact I, I remember sharing the information with some friends and that's how a couple of friends actually became fans of the band they had seen oh, me wow. yeah they had seen that uh, i had posted something on social media i'm a little more active than you i, I i'll be honest with you I'm a little more active on social media than you guys. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, I had posted something about it, and uh, a friend of mine, she's a very um, empathetic person. She loves to, and she loves to learn about this stuff. So I, she said, "What's what is going on? Is this a friend of yours?" I said, "No, no, no. It's it's just one of my favorite bands, and um, you know, and, and she could use some help and support." And she said, "Oh, she ended up uh, donating as well, and ended up listening to the music and becoming a huge fan." So. Wow. Well, thank you. That's thank. I appreciate the support. It was that that was a very humbling experience to see uh, how generous and kind people were during that uh, period. It was 
I, I had no plans of setting up anything like that. It was done by uh, one of our friends, um, Ian Ottaway, who um, sometimes writes on our website. Yes. I've known him for ages. And, and he just, he, yeah, he went ahead and, and put that up. He didn't talk to any of us about it. He just went with it. And it was very nice of him to, to set that up and the, the support from bands and also like other people from other bands and stuff. It was really, really kind um, how how many people were just so generous during that period. So that, that yeah, that's definitely not something I'll, I'll never forget that. That was really, really cool. Um, well, let's talk about recovery. Yeah. Well, let's move on. I, this, it's an amazing story. And, and, but you're, your recovery is what fascinates me the most because I've I've heard some previous interviews where you, you mentioned that uh, the doctor that uh, was it the doctor that performed the surgery was actually a fan of the band. Yes, that's crazy. He was, he, well, he's the, like super cool guy. He knew the band and he's very into music and had a very good understanding of uh, like how physically tasking it actually is to be on tour and especially how physical playing drums is. So he put together like a, in addition to the like normal rehabilitation, he put together a plan for how to like get back on the drums. Cause I mean, looking back as well, like if I had been left to by myself to figure that out, I would have definitely messed something up. Like oh, wow. I wouldn't have known how to do that in a, in a safe, responsible way. Yeah. <laughs> No way. Um, so that that was pretty cool that um, he was able to help out in that way and had such a good understanding of everything. And and he cleared me to go out on that tour we did we did in um, summer of 2015, which was like roughly six months after. Which was, it was a little soon, but it was very healthy to go out on tour, like just mentally to be out and playing again and and doing like just not going to doctors or physical therapy or something like that every single day and like, the whole life revolve around that and just that I was getting pretty burnt out on that. So it was yeah, very I can imagine. Now, yeah. Did that change the way you approach your, your drumming? Um, yeah, I mean, it changed because I have to, you know, physically pay attention to, to, to my physical well-being a lot more than, you know, when you're young, you take that stuff for granted. I did like oh. any other person. Um, That's why I gained like and, 40 pounds. <laughs> now, now I have to, you know, spend a lot of time warming up and stretching. And afterwards I have to do the same thing and, you know, try to stay on top of that. So it changed in that way. Like, I sometimes I, I get a little lazy with it, but I pay for it yeah. <laughs> with the price. So that'll like, yeah. um, you know, remind me that I actually really do need to, to do those things. And, um, and aside from that, like, of course it's, uh, it's really nice to be able to play again without feeling like I'm upside down on a roller coaster, like flying through space or something while I'm playing. That's that's nice as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's there's like the the general sort of overall appreciation for being able to do you know this 
crazy thing that I love, which is ridiculous that I'm lucky enough to be able to do this for a living. Like yeah. that's, and you know, it was a, a harsh reminder of how quickly that can go away. And not just because of the many reasons that, um, that you think things normally fall apart because of like the, you know, I don't know, just how the business is or whatever, but I, I never really factored like health into the, that equation of, of how fast it could be all be taken away. Um, so, you know, of course that awareness makes me a bit more appreciative of, <laughs> <laughs> of the fact that I'm still able to do it and, and tour and stuff. So yeah, it, it changed things. I think for the better. Good, good. Now, speaking of touring, you've been touring with the band for 10 years now, and you've been recording with them for 10 years. You gotta, you guys have to have some weird, weird touring and recording stories. Like, like what's, what's some weird shit that's happened on the road? And then if I can't see if Peter's still there, I've, I want to, I want to know some weird stuff that's happened in this, in the studio. And you can even include just, you know, some Brian Jonestown massacre crap in there if you like <laughs> i mean it, it's honestly I, it's all a bit weird and <laughs> there's definitely days where it just kind of you have to have i think if you don't have a some sort of sense of humor about yourself things can seem a bit like you're living spinal tap yeah. um <laughs> day basis um one of my favorite movies by the way and um yeah, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> I was a little, a little too close to home, but yeah, the, I mean, the thing is just like it's silly. It's a, it's a s traveling circus of weird people. So. Yeah, I'll tell you a little uh, story here. Since if you guys want to go back and listen to older episodes of this, I had a uh, Trey Gunn on from King Crimson, and he does uh, he tours with. Pat Mastelato and um, a bassist whose name I am forgetting right now, but they go out as a three piece. And at the end of their first set, Trey plays a song called Arrakis on his own. He plays it solo. Yeah. He's got his war, his war guitar and he's got this whole rig set up where he'll, he'll start doing loops and then he'll play on top of the loops and it just keeps building and building. And apparently he wasn't aware of this. He, he's got this monitor in his ear and mm -hmm. he's hearing everything and he's hearing his, he's even got pre-recorded cues Saying, okay, don't add the harmony here, solo in three, two, one, stuff like that. And right. So he's hearing everything just fine. And he gets off stage, he thanks everybody, gets off stage, and he looks at, and the people in the audience are just kind of staring at him. And oh, he, nothing. And he, okay. Well, he turns in, and, and Pat Mastelato, uh, who, for anybody listening that doesn't know, he's the drummer for King Crimson, he turns and he's like, Are you okay? And he's like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, why? He's like, nothing was going through the house. All anybody heard was what you were playing live, the solo stuff. Whatever you recorded and looped didn't go through. Oh, God. Said, everybody in the audience for like five minutes was sitting there, and he would be playing a solo, and then there'd be like silence for like 15, 20 seconds, and then he would do some other really weird abstract thing. And oh, like, and he actually recorded it. I'm trying to convince him still to send it to me because I got to hear this. Oh, but he, he said that... Oh crap! I can't remember the bassist. He's he's a super well-known guy, but he looked and he's like, I thought maybe you were playing, you were improving on a whole nother level where we were supposed to remember what you were playing. Oh, 
And I'm like, holy shit, that is so King Crimson. That's way too cerebral for me. I couldn't, I couldn't be at a show where you have to remember what the guy played. But then he actually went back out and he explained to the audience what had happened and fixed the problem and, and played it again the correct way. <laughs> so, so you guys haven't yeah. had any anything weird like that happen on on tour. Yeah, stuff like that happen happens all the time actually i don't think the tour goes by where that doesn't happen yeah um, i remember once on my birthday um we were playing in uh charleston and we had just started playing i think we were three songs into the set i guess there was a car accident somewhere oh, and they took out all electricity in the whole neighborhood. Oh. So there was nothing. Whoa. Everything went out. Like, like everything. Wow. So we played three songs. It's like, ah, oh, shit, what are we going to do? I was like, well, my night is over, so I'm just going <laughs> to guys figure it out. But the guys grabbed the acoustic guitars and tried to play over um, – crowd noise and people oh, wow. quieted down i remember the fucking bartender in the back was cleaning up and just tossing like glass bottles everywhere <laughs> so, like at least not just <laughs> up like while we're trying to salvage this disaster oh god <laughs> so that happened on the last tour the there was that uh one night where the pa blew out and we stopped you did some acoustic stuff, then the PA came on, but it was only working, uh, half of it was working or something like that, and then it crapped out again, and I mean, it's just... We had one, we had one at, uh, at uh, Coachella, oh, where uh, oh, the... Uh, um, <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. Leah just got up and walked away, so this is going to be a good story. <laughs> it's... Uh, how did that start? It started, it was a windy day, and and it blew Rob's bass over so that it cracked the neck of his bass. I don't know if he had a backup at that time. Oh, no. Um, they couldn't get my guitar rig working, so we were, I think, 15 to 20 minutes late. And, yeah, bass was broken. Uh, they, they couldn't get my amps running, so they ended up, what the guy ended up doing was just running a cable from the guitar straight into the amp, turn it up to 10, so it was distorted. Oh, wow. Then that blew. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so oh, we ended up, I think with, I think we had three songs left. And so we ended up playing songs off of Howl, which wasn't released then. We ended up oh. doing like Shuffle Your Feet. Uh, oh, wow. Complicated situation. Oh my gosh! <laughs> for uh, I don't know, maybe fifteen, twenty thousand people that had no clue what was going on. That was the last time we played that place. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Never been invited back. Oh, was a bit of a nightmare. Gosh. We've had it at festivals in Germany. Had power destroy every single pedal in what? the guitar rig. Um, some power surge. So, done done punk song on acoustic at that one. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> that, that I'd like to hear. It, yeah, it sort of worked. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's a lot of that. You know that 
Yeah, you just you, you end up learning how to deal with it. It's always the theory is if you know it's it's not a song if you can't do it acoustically. You know that's one of the theories. So. That's an adage, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've trapped ourselves. There's a lot of songs we can't do. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys uh, have a preference to playing festivals or stadiums or smaller clubs? No, I, I, I don't. I don't have much of a preference with that. They're they're just different different animals. Yeah. There's yeah. no comparing them for me. I, I, yeah, I, I still. There's something cool. I have to say. Whatever size it is, as long as it's not a completely sterile environment, which unfortunately the larger the rooms become, that tends to happen. Like these clean kind of yeah, well, like, office or hospital. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't give much of a vibe as far as the room. Nothing goes. you guys can feed off of. Yeah, like it, I. I like well, it's, it's, it gets a little rough when you're when the main thing that sticks out is, uh, you know, the Budweiser sign <laughs> that you're playing to. You know, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> no offense to Budweiser, but uh, they're not a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it could be, you know, Shell. You know, what I mean, it those, just starts to feel main a sign. Yeah. It gets a little weird, but but you know, people are there. If people are there, that's all that matters. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I had I had a different. Oh, oh yeah, I was I was I was thinking it would be fun at some point in time with technology to have festivals be like jukeboxes, where the people can with their phones just you know they know what bands are there and if they just want to hear one song from that band, they go boom. And that's <laughs> that. That band just plays that one song, and they move on to the next band, and have everybody. That's really cool. That's I've I never thought of anything like that. That's then, what it feels like. Then what, what about the new bands that like. nobody knows about? You know, that's well, not really fair. To they that. can be like an ad. Like to hear this song, you have to hear this band uh, one song by this band first. Well, A jukebox well, ad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. It'd be interesting because that's what it feels like sometimes. It's kind of like you know, I don't, don't need to play an hour. I want to, I, you know, I want to have a good time. I want to hear three three songs I dig well, and move on, and I'll hear the would, other three songs from that one. You know? It would I'd snap cool people that, out of you know the the bands that tour that like to, you know they have when they're doing a festival tour. They have the one set list, and that's the one they do every night. Yeah, like it would <laughs> force them, force them out of it, like. Which, I don't know how well that would go over. But. Yeah. That that leads me to another question. Do you guys change up your set lists a lot during the tour? There's like we try to. There's some songs that you know are kind of part of the like the core of the of the set, and then there's a handful that are sort of revolving that get switched out with random other songs, and then every once in a while, if we get like requests for certain songs we'll try to see if we can if it's one that we haven't played in a million years if we can relearn it and play it um yeah. one really really wants to hear it but uh <laughs> yeah it's not it's definitely not like a here's the set list for this whole tour and then off we go and then that's just it's not like that 
job to, to pick a set list when you start off when you start rehearsing like oh yeah let's definitely add these songs and let's pick this one from the obscure thing we did is it is it hard to come up with a, a set list when you guys go out it yeah it can be i mean first we gotta get used to like you know a, a whole bunch of new songs being part of the set list and figuring out like what songs flow well with other songs and yeah. things have to be like also doable for the Pete's guitar tech, you know, to not make his life <laughs> any more stressful than it already is. Um, and then, it, yeah, it, it's, it, it can be a little bit hard. And then there's curfews and all this bullshit, which seems to be getting worse and worse every year. Like the curfews are, harsher and harsher and they really? just talk you out of the club as soon as you're done they clear out everybody and they kick you out and and yeah. then disco night comes on yeah. you know um so so there's less like wiggle room with you know how much time you actually have to play and it yeah oh, so yes yeah, so, okay so you you're saying you, you've got to not only pick the songs but you, it's got to fit a certain time frame for, for yeah each, and it's got to be the same, so it matches each club's curfews. That's, oh God, yeah. that's gonna be a logistical nightmare. Uh, well, I mean, uh, well, I mean, you've just got a certain amount of time. I mean, it, it really it depends on, I think, how nasty you want to be to the opening act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, we like to have bands come out. You know that, that we enjoy. They're either friends or some, somebody we dig. And you don't want to be putting them on right putting when them, doors. Yeah, right when doors open. Yeah. That's been done to us. On our, you know, our, you know, it's it's not fun when there's two people. You know, so you try to give them enough room, but then the club's going. Well, we're closing right. We're closing at this time, and we're gonna. You know, they always threaten to turn the power off. They never do, but they threaten. <laughs> you. Actually, oh, for the first time, I actually got a smoking fine in England. Oh yeah. man! Did you yeah. actually get it? Yeah, they withheld. In Brighton, they withheld. Uh, what was it? Twenty five hundred, something like Jeez. that. Yeah, they're getting serious about that. So it's yeah. interesting. There's more and more rules coming in. Uh, in you know, 
the one place where like most people do this because you don't want to have a bunch of fucking rules and force. Yeah, exactly. You go there to have a good time, unwind. You know, you. Yeah, and there's just more and more and more rules. I don't understand like it. Every album cycle, they're is starting ridiculous. to they're starting to stop people from dancing. Yeah, what? have you seen that? No. No, no, it's I've got three teenagers. So it's it's hard for me to get out to to see concerts lately. So, yeah, even at festivals, they they're like starting to get if people like look like they're about to get a little bit too rowdy, they are quick to shut that down. It's really crazy. I mean, strange, some places but... are a little bit more uptight than others, but yeah, it, that's a weird one. It's like. Man. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't get out as much as I used to. I used to go to shows every weekend, but since I've I've had kids, there's only a few bands I, I go and make time for, and you guys are one of them. So <laughs> I, I try to see you guys whenever you come down to the D.C. area. So we yeah, got to keep that going. So um, nine thirty club. Yeah. Yes, so oh, I yeah. like that. Yeah, is it the Black Cat? Was that was that in D.C.? Yeah. Yep, they're uh, they're. Right next to each other, if I remember correctly. And then I think you guys, last time you were here, you played in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is the closest you got to us. So. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called like the some Fillmore thing, or I don't remember what they, they uh, named it. Uh, uh, but uh, Yeah, we, we did, I think we did 930 Club on the first U.S. run back in like January, February. I, unfortunately, I missed it because I think somebody was sick. One of the kids yeah. was sick or something, so unfortunately like, I couldn't usually go. Always, like nine thirty is like one of the ones that are like it's always on the itinerary. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, good because I, you know, it's it's funny. I I don't go to a whole lot of shows there, but you, it's it's always you guys. So it's I, I we played there. Uh, I think the first time we were there, we played with uh, Water Boys. Oh my gosh! Oh, you know. You know, we moved on past this, uh, this question that I had, and I want to go back to it real fast. What is What are the weirdest things you've had to do in the studio to get the sound that you want? Oh, uh, well, you're like the master of, of rabbit holes when it comes to that. Well, I was, uh, on this album, I was singing into the piano, singing, singing in, into a piano with the, with the pedal push so all the strings would ring out. Oh, wow. Well, uh, we um and and then using it as a rhythm with the you kind of lift your foot up hard and it, and it makes it, it makes the whole piano kind of it's ring out sound yeah kind of a yeah percussion type thing oh wow um if that's what you mean by weird doing weird things yeah exactly you mean I can even go back to like I said Brian Jones sound massacre and just weird shit going on in the studio whichever whichever way you want to take it is fine with me oh. <laughs> Well, that you know, uh, uh, Jonestown. That that I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. There's, I don't know. I don't know what's. What, I mean, at the same time, a lot of it's just cliche, cliche weird. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. bullshit. You know, what I mean, it's typical bullshit that yeah. goes on. You know, there's that. <laughs> um, but I didn't even know. Um, they were nice enough to. I don't even know if he kept any of what I played on that on that album. Um, he was nice enough to put my name, um, on as a credit. Yeah. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if they kept any of what I, uh, stuff I played there. But, 
Yeah, you know, you put putting microphones inside guitars, trying a bunch of weird stuff like that. Yeah. yeah I, I I like sound design stuff. Yeah. Um, I imagine some of that stuff is is hard when it comes to trying to, like you're saying, learn to play the song live and and have it still sound. Yeah, I, that's where it comes in tricky when you do get sort of experimental and use weird sounds like that's when when it when you have like okay the record's done and then you never have enough time to prepare for the tour and then you have to figure out like how on earth are we going to make this work live and you, there's only three of us we're not going to go on stage and have peter stick his hip, his face in a piano all tour no <laughs> yeah right yeah um well, yeah. the thing that, yeah, the, the the disappointing thing on that is that actually you just put a reverb on the vocal and it sounds, it sounds like reverb. <laughs> 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 That's basically what it sounds like. Oh, man. All that was happening, but I don't know. I I never look at things kind of as weird. Anything goes, that, you know you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that That's the... Fun of it, you know? Yes, it's not weird. It's just experimenting. Yeah, I mean, any any side, even the even the cliche nonsense of people being fucking weird. It's all it's all part of the fun of it. It's the way it's supposed to be, you know. We're fairly. I think our weirdness in the studio more comes from just at least mine with recording. I get really OCD, borderline psychotic about. Like each song, I have like a very specific feel that I want the drums to have because I know that's like the that's the right flow and type of fluidity that that song needs as a foundation. Yeah. And if if I struggle to get that, it it makes me I I, I get a little psycho. <laughs> I, I'll admit to that, but. Um, I think somebody from the outside seeing it's, it's hard to explain, but I don't know if, if you know, if, if anybody knows the, te the technical things about, about it is that you, you, you get such tunnel vision about things. You, you, uh, you were talking like a half a dB to a third of a dB. But your brain goes into goes into the place of like, oh my god, the song's ruined because I half a dB, you know, and that that rabbit hole is just dangerous. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I I know I've kept you guys for a while. I have a few uh, questions that some people have thrown out, and uh, if you don't mind me asking a couple of these, and, and I will, I promise I will let you guys go. All right. Oh, uh, what's so one person who is. Uh, Wanted to know if the Chiari malformations can reoccur, or is it done once they have done the surgery? Um, yes and no. There's kind of different versions of it. Uh, sometimes, um, like uh, if newborns are are born with this, with like a pretty severe form of it, okay. and they have to have surgery, and because they're still growing, then most likely they'll have to have surgeries throughout their life because of that and of course like if the surgery doesn't i don't know if the surgeon fucks up the surgery yeah then you might have to have surgery again but ideally that shouldn't happen 
But yeah, for for me, no, I don't think I'll have to have surgery again. It, it, it's okay. knock on wood. <laughs> I'd hate to have to go through that again. And also, it it, it was pretty successful. So, Hyde at BRMC Generation wants to know how you keep your energy up playing drums night after night. Uh, do you play every day? And uh, <laughs> what instruments would you want to play if you played something besides the drums? I think. Um, well, I usually do like a boot camp before tours um, where like I spend a certain amount of time like just getting uh, my stamina built up and it's just basically getting in shape for tour. Um, it's kind of helpful to do that. Um, as far, of course, I still have days where I'm tired or, you know, you're not well rested or whatever, but that's yeah. when the magical adrenaline of it all kicks in and kind of takes over. And it's amazing how uh, helpful <laughs> that is. Um, I can imagine because I'm, I'm songs like conscience killer. That, that's got to be brutal playing that each night. Cause that, especially the ending, that's crazy. Like, a, a, you know, depending on how the set lists are, like, if there's, like, a bunch of songs grouped together that are very up-tempo and some of them are really long, like, of, of course, that's physically, like, a bit. Um, but, yeah, it's a matter of getting in shape. Um, but um, what was the other, if I was to play another instrument? Yeah. I tried learning another instrument, and honestly, like, nothing ever came to me as naturally as playing drums did um so after like you know trying uh like keyboard and bass i just quit bothering with that <laughs> it was pretty obvious that even if i became like a mediocre bass player that would be a fucking miracle <laughs> kind of like why waste my time on that when i could just spend that amount of time just focusing on the drums because that's what obviously is supposed to be my instrument. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's see, my wife actually wants to know if you guys know how awesome you are. She's <laughs> she's she's especially a huge fan of Leah, so she just wanted to know if you guys know that. Uh, I I I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, I. I think there are many people that are way more awesome. <laughs> um. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to do lead vocals? I know Pete and Rob handle that and they handle a lot of the, the lyric writing. Thanks. Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, they, we, we answered that one quickly. Uh, <laughs> um, my kids, my kids, they wanted to know what bands you guys are listening to now. And if we might find anything weird in your playlists. Mm. Um, there's some cool bands, uh, like a, a band that we've toured with before here in LA or they're based in LA called restaurant. Uh, they're definitely a, a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know what to call their genre of music, but they're really great and a really amazing live band. Um, can I let my kids listen to it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's almost, I may, almost psychobilly, I, I yeah. maybe, but 
Uh, that's even that maybe that maybe they'd be offended by me saying that. Huh? Uh, yeah, it doesn't quite really fit into any any box like that. It, it's okay. it's a little. I'd recommend really cool. find, I'd recommend definitely looking at trying to ca- find a live clip yeah. of uh, of how the guy does his drums. Real 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 cool. Okay, yeah. rest, restaurant with a V. Yeah, uh, at, instead of the rest- U. Restaurant. Rest, yeah. rest, oh. rest, rest, restaurant. Restaurant. Okay. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because otherwise I'd be like, yeah. all I'm getting are videos of restaurant, like Guy Fieri. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah spelled with a V somehow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, Leah, my kids also, they sent me another question. They want to know if they had anything, like, my kids are all in marching band in, in school. So they wanted, uh, yeah, they wanted to know if, if they had anything like that in Denmark? No. Uh, at least not that I am aware of or that I remember. No. I mean, there, there, there was, you know, music classes and stuff like that, but I don't remember there being any sort of marching band stuff. But we also don't have, like, the sports stuff in, like, the same way that there's like high school or college sports over here. It, right. it's, yeah, it's a little bit different. Okay. Um, I, did, I did marching band. You did? What would you play? I played trombone. Oh, wow. <laughs> my daughter yeah. plays trumpet. My son plays, uh, my daughter in high school, Josie, she plays trumpet. My son, Mark, he plays, uh, well, if when he's in like concert band, he plays the tuba, but once he goes to marching band, it switches to sousaphone. And then my youngest, who's in middle school still, she she plays in a concert band for middle school. She plays the uh, uh, mellophone, which I guess is a French horn with an extra valve. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So that and that's one reason they they love you guys. My kids all listen to you and they love it because you guys incorporate horns and weird organs and stuff like that. Weird pump yeah. organ you have on open invitation. They yeah. yeah. That's they harmony. Oh, okay. Yeah. They love that stuff. So they're they're always looking forward to the new albums and digging deep into it like I do. So um, yeah, there, awesome. there was a trombone as uh, hidden way in the background of um, uh, uh, Echo. Um, oh yeah, wow. I'll have to check that way out. Towards the end, just as it, um, it's pretty buried, but yeah, we we, we try to come. Uh, when it comes to guitar, that's a lot of what I'm, yeah, I grew up doing symphonic band, jazz band, marching band, all that stuff, but I'm always trying to do layers like that in a symphonic way and get the guitar to sound like another instrument or, you know, or and a keyboard to sound like some other type of instrument to weave them all in and out, you know? Yeah, that well, uh, that, that actually leads me to the last question I have. Uh, it's about Echo. Most of your songs sound like a Black Rebel Motorcycle Club song, but Echo sounds a lot like a Lou Reed song. Is there was that on purpose or was that just something that happened? It was just something that happened because of the way this 
when we first started jamming on that song, that that was the riff that Rob was playing on on bass at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was an incident, but yeah, I, I I do hear that as well in it. Um, debated so in the beginning of the song, but yeah, yeah we debated how you know how how. If we're getting in, tr- if we get in trouble, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for it, but but it's a, it's just a nod, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, and hopefully we're, you know, it's it's out of respect, you know. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's not like when the Verve, you know, sampled uh, was it the Rolling Stones uh-huh. backwards for Bittersweet Symphony or anything like that. Yeah, they got in a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh! Yeah. Were you into their first albums? I loved a storm in heaven. That's one yeah. of beautiful record. That yeah. it, it's in my top like three records of all time. Storm, yeah. I got. I look. I saw them once live right before they released a Northern Soul on a Lollapalooza tour, and uh, that was the only chance I ever got to see them live. But they're yeah. Were they playing the second stage yep. during that like, up? Right, they weren't playing the main stage; they're playing side stage. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were like one of the top acts on that second stage. It was like them or and or the Flaming Lips. I think would would be the last band on that on there. So you know, uh, the year with the Pumpkins. Pete Salisbury, their drummer, helped us out. You know that, right? Yeah, I did see that. That was that's a. I was going to ask you about that actually, but I don't want to keep you guys forever. But how did how did that come about? Because that's a to me being a, the big music nerd that I am and loving Black Rubber Motorcycle Club, loving the Verve. That's just an incredible connection right there for me. That was Nick had overstayed his visa, <laughs> and he were and so he was illegal in the states, and we were getting offers to go to England. And he was afraid if he left, he wouldn't be able to come back. And we weren't sure what was going on. So, God, I it was just a random. It was like, hey, we're fans of this band. Let's ask. And he said, yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> fantastic. Incredible. We were playing little little shit clubs and, you know, through, through Europe and England. A, oh, it was on a Europe tour? Yeah. So it, that was the first tours over in England, yeah, with him, and uh, then you know, then we moved over there for a little bit, and and Nick ended up getting his. That's a whole other story. Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe I can have you on next time. We can talk a little bit of early early BRMC history. I maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll definitely I'll reach out to you guys at some point, and because I would love to have you guys on again. Um, yeah. in, in fact. Cool. Like like mentioning talking about we can talk about your influences because I I love talking Verve and Star Sail just opened whole doors for me. That song is is one of my favorites of all time. So, in fact, hey, one of the yeah. first things one of the first things I ever did on uh, Facebook, um, I reached out to uh, some of the guys on the Verve on Facebook and and, and try to friend bands that I like or, or some of the the artists that I like just to see what they're working on so keep keep up with them not to bug the crap out of them. They did a, a, they were doing a live feed, live, you know, just DM us any question that you want. Uh, I asked Nick, so I said, all right, how do you play that opening chord in Star Sail? 
Oh, he said, oh, here you go. He wrote it out for me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so that was one of the cool moments. That's one of the only cool moments I've had with the Verve because they don't, they don't write back much. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for coming on. I really do appreciate you spending so much time with me and, and, and indulging me. You, where can people find you guys on social media and, and follow you and the band? Oh, our website is blackrebelmotorcycleclub.com. And if you go there, it'll have all the links to uh, the various Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, other accounts. Perfect. But the website is blackrebelmotorcycleclub.com. Yeah, we're not too good at that stuff. <laughs> have to so we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with the world someday. We're, we're still trying to how to figure out, uh, yeah, how to properly <laughs> do that stuff. Well, hire me. I'll do it for you. Twitter account is like a big step. It's really cool. Good luck with what you're doing. I hope it all goes well, you It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.